0: Welcome back to the business of biotech. We've wrapped up our summer executive sessions, and now it's time to get back to some regularly scheduled programming. The next four episodes are going to take some deep dives into topics including data quality, GMP, CMC considerations, gap analysis, and next steps for clinical stage biopharma companies. We've got some great guests lined up to guide us, folks like Dr. Shabir Anik, CTO at Sutro Bio. Doctors Edith Perez and Nathan Isle, CMO and CTO, respectively, at Bolt Biotherapeutics, Dr. Pablo Valenzuela and Christian Hernandez-Cuevas, CEO and COO at Andes Biotechnologies, and today, Dr. Robert Harari, CEO at Cellularity. Now, before we kick off today's conversation with Dr. Harari on data quality, master files, and what's new at Cellularity— I want to issue a couple of caveats. First, Dr. Harari and I recorded this episode back in May, so keep that in context as you listen. We attempted to record using Zoom, but we failed. As you recall, that's when virtually everyone in the country was jumping on the Zoom train, and virtually everyone in the country was also having connectivity issues. So we ended up jumping on the phone to chat and we didn't have the greatest connection. So while the audio wasn't great, just bear with us because I assure you the content of the conversation was. Let's give it a listen.
1: So this is the business of biotech. I'm Matt Piller and I'm thrilled to welcome to the show uh, Dr. Robert Harari. Founder, Chairman, and CEO of, of Cellularity and formerly Cellgene Cellular Therapeutics. Good day, Dr. Hurry. Hey, it's great to be with you. I hope you're staying safe. Uh, we are. So far, so good. You know, we're uh, we're up in um, in, in, a, in the northwest corner of, of Pennsylvania, and things aren't too bad here as of now. Uh, we hope that remains the case. Um, so. Today, we're uh, we're going to have a discussion about quality data and FDA submissions, and what's really cool about having this conversation with Dr. Hueri is this. While the word pioneer gets bandied around far too often, Dr. Hueri and his team truly are pioneers in cell therapy, and as such, they've broken new ground with, with the FDA, plenty of new ground, and I'm going to explain this in far too rudimentary a way. Which, Doctor Harry, I'll give you an opportunity to clean up when I'm done. But the therapies that Cellularity is is working on, developing, are dependent on the large-scale harvest of postpartum placental cells. In other words, to move its therapies from discovery to its current phase one and, and two clinical trials on some of its on some of those therapies, the company had to get regulatory approval to effectively collect and process healthy afterbirth from maternity wards the world over, and from that afterbirth, make life-saving and life-improving medicines for a host of indications from cancer to degenerative conditions to uh, most recently, as we all know, uh, coronavirus. So, (laughs) that that obviously requires uh, quite a bit of uh, fancy footwork as it relates to the regulatory scene. And, and Robert, before we go much further, I want to I want to ask you: Did I get did I get pretty close on that description? Again, I know it's rudimentary, but I, am I close?
2: Uh, I, I think it was perfect, and um, the terminology, fancy footwork, really does apply almost in technical precision to what we do. <laughs> I can I can imagine, I can imagine, I'm, and
1: and that's that's where I'd like to start. Now, I, I want to get into you know what you guys are doing on the coronavirus front and, and talk more specifically about some of your therapies. But I want to start with that FDA and regulatory concern aspect. As you know, our audience for this this podcast is, is new and emerging biopharmas, and, and we want to, the leaders of those companies, and we want to give them some, some education. So at Cellularity, how have you approached, you know, given your very unique and, and novel a, a approach to uh, the collection of materials and development of therapies? How have you approached FDA and regulatory concerns from the outset, you know, in, in the context of this very unique uh, business?
2: So, you know, we're fortunate that Cellularity is the successor to Celgene Cellular Therapeutics, which was the successor to Life Bank Anthrogenesis. And in combination, these, these enterprises have over a 20-year history of uh, working on developing uh living cells into medicines. And that the origins of that work uh really revolve around what you were describing just a moment ago, which is the controlled high quality um procurement of postpartum placentas under full informed consent with a rich uh database of information that pertain to the, the donor the donor themselves and the parental Lineage of the donor, in order to ensure that the any product derived from those leftover materials of birth were of the highest quality and the highest clinical potential, and and building those systems from the origins of the company uh, was, was was somewhat of a complicated process where we had to develop the right um, uh, the right relationships with uh, with birthing centers and and expecting parents. We had to develop the right relationships with um with the obstetricians who were doing the, the the collection and we had to uh we had to uh, create the right uh tools to collect the the appropriate and relevant data so that uh we could use that in essence as the as the product dossier if you will now um what what we what we focused on early early on was using a good scientific foundations to make choices about what products we were going to uh, attempt to develop from this uh, postpartum placenta in order to better deploy those biological properties for a clinical purpose. For example, we recognized early on the placenta has unique immunomodulatory ability, the ability to control. Uh, many aspects of the immune system, including inflammation, uh, graft rejection, et cetera, and we we sought to turn those particular biological properties into useful clinical tools for the treatment of, for example, autoimmune disease. And then fast forward to what's more more recent. uh, We recognized many years ago that the placenta plays an important life support and defense role for the developing fetus, and one of those uh, activities is to defend the fetus against uh, threats such as cancer and infectious disease, and it was that observation that led our research teams to identify a novel, unique part of of the placenta's immune system and the newborn's immune system called the natural killer cell, a placental natural killer cell. The placental natural killer cells are part of the innate immune system, meaning that they come pre-programmed to perform these sensory functions, and we, we recognize that those cells uh, conserve those unique activities to identify and target, for example, cancer cells and virally infected cells and, in you know, other forms of infectious threats, and that could be turned into a useful tool to treat diseases in other recipients, including adults. And so that gave rise to our NK program, which gave rise to our placental NK programs in cancer, where we've completed phase one studies and are in phase two studies now in in blood cancers and soon solid tumors, and um, and it, it it just happened to be that at the at the at the outset of COVID 19 being a significant global pandemic threat. We saw an opportunity to deploy the same product, the same placental natural killer cell, as a tool to treat viral infection. And we did the basic work to, to create a rationale for doing that, um, f- applied to the FDA for a clinical study to demonstrate safety and efficacy, and that's where we are today. Yeah.
1: Yeah. When you, um, so so that's where you are today, and and I, you know, as we all know, the FDA is entertaining several uh, uh, therapies and vaccines to address COVID-19 right now, accelerating many of those approaches. Uh, What can you tell us about, I guess, the the traditional investigational new drug and CMT experience versus, uh, you know, where you might be with with the progress of of some of this uh, COVID-19? Of your the progress of your uh, COVID-19 uh, potential therapy.
2: So you, you you make a very very good uh, point. The FDA in a time of crisis like this um, has had to dramatically uh, dial up their uh, the tempo of the process of reviewing these candidate therapeutics and uh, and with the same attention to ensuring that. There's a strong scientific rationale and a strong basis to expect safety and and uh and benefits um they They reviewed quite quickly um, the the various protocols including ours and gave us the um the free to proceed safe to proceed uh clearance which allows us to get into the fight here and actually demonstrate um that this product would be useful now um the you know the truth of the matter is the FDA has has tremendous experience in looking at various cell therapy candidates, uh, including placental cells. We have we have um, had many many uh, uh, interactions with the agency around the review and authorization to test placental derived cells in different applications, and so that experience and and I believe that level of comfort has played played well in advancing this treatment in in COVID 19. That being said, there is still a very high bar to be met uh, uh, to be able to do this in a responsible way, mm-hmm. and and cellularity has always strived to work at the highest standards prescribed by the FDA, both in terms of the quality of the products, the manufacturing, the clinical uh, uh, protocol design, and ultimately the the rationale for studying the, the product. So, we're, you know, we're a seasoned cell therapy uh, enterprise who um, uh, is in the right position to be able to work effectively with the FDA.
1: Yeah, I want to get back to that uh, the data point that you made uh, real quick. You, you know, you, you mentioned that you keep uh, and, and have developed from day one a database of information on donor and, and, and paternal uh, considerations and variables. And I imagine, I mean, you know, you, you tell me, but I imagine that that not only uh, benefits uh, the directive of the therapies you're you're working on, but there's also an element of using that data um, to prepare for uh, FDA FDA submissions. Am I right? I mean, it, it, does that data kind of
2: play into your uh, your, your FDA submission strategy? So, so the FDA has over over the many many years we've worked with them, they have um, uh, come to accept. Uh, the entire procurement process, the entire mechanics of procurement, and so that's no longer something that requires review. Uh, mm-hmm. these are proven, uh, accepted methods, and the agency recognizes that we, uh, we adhere to and abide by all of the appropriate, uh, regulations, recommendations, guidances, and so on as it pertains to dealing with this human tissue. So, in that regard, the FDA isn't necessarily looking at that data. However, they, they recognize that our company does pay attention to that, and we use that data for everything from um, uh, alerting us if there might be a, a basis for excluding a donor from the from the production of a product, to uh, is there something unique about a donor that might ultimately lead to why that, that particular donor's cells could be useful or not useful. In a clinical indication, you know we're at the we're at the dawn of the cellular medicine um, era,
1: and there's a lot
2: to be learned. We are a company that has paid attention to the nuance, the subtle nuance of the genomics of our donors, and that, that I believe in the future will play into things like selecting donors as well as as uh, earmarking um, products based upon their expected biological activity. Mhm okay
1: um let, let's kind of take take that uh, FDA data question uh and and fast forward to your recent green light for phase 1 2 clinical trials for your your coronavirus uh candidate um what 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 data like just give us an overview what what data the FDA was looking for uh to green light that and and the ways what, what systems or structures that, that Cellularity has in place to manage
2: and, and present that data in appropriate form? So um, for the COVID-19 indication, uh, taking our CYNK001 program forward, this is an asset, a, a clinical candidate that is already under three open INDs for cancer. It is it is uh, under an IND for treat, the treatment of uh, uh, leukemia, AML, it's it's under IND for treatment of multiple myeloma, and it's under IND for the treatment of solid tumors, initially glioblastoma. Um, mm-hmm. The agency has done extensive review of all of the elements of the product, what we call CMC, Chemistry Manufacturing and Controls uh, 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 data. That is basically ensuring the uh, process of producing the product Qualifying the product and releasing the product meets a very, very high quality standard. And the agency does a great job reviewing that, and I believe the agency has great comfort in, in how cellularity manages that process. And then the agency looks at the underlying scientific rationale for why we take it into COVID-19. And so we, we present both, um, both direct data and indirect data on why virally infected cells, because of the characteristics of those cells, would be a target, for the CYNK001, and then the agency um, uh, takes into consideration that there are not particularly – there aren't models today for COVID-19 infection in uh, in animals, and so we don't have the ability to do the preclinical animal testing that one might um, expect prior to getting into humans, but the combination of the existing safety uh, history in humans in the cancer studies as well as the scientific rationale and the urgency of this indication, gets gets us to a point that that the agency is comfortable with our uh, trial design and allows us to proceed. Now, that being said, the agency has very very strict guidelines on how we monitor the um, uh, the effect of the uh, of the uh, CYMK001 in patients, especially at the onset of the study, and then as we get more and more safety experience, the agency uh, obviously develops a greater confidence and comfort with, uh, with the program.
0: The Business of Biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at CytivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A LifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech.
1: So put put your mentor hat on for for a minute Dr. Harry uh and, and, and let's say you're mentoring a, a brand new maybe a first time CEO of a of a biopharma or cell
2: gene firm
1: who um is thinking ahead to you know get getting ready perhaps for a, a first time FDA submission what what advice would you give them about like if you if you look back to your early days you know when you were going to the FDA with some of those early indications, those oncology indications that you referenced. Um, looking back on that, what advice would you give a, a new biopharma leader uh, based on maybe mistakes that you made or things that you learned along the way as it relates to presenting that data to the FDA?
2: Well, you know, I, I, I have always found the FDA is um, uh, is very uh, diligent about the uh, review of any materials that are submitted by a, a candidate company looking at developing a therapeutic, and what they what they expect and demand, and I think it's it's absolutely appropriate, is 100% transparency um, and ex and, and the highest quality uh, in the elements of the submission. Meaning that the materials that you submit have to be pr- properly quality controlled. And they have to be um, properly validated and verified, so that what you're showing the agency is in fact a, a an honest and clear reflection of the work that you have done in support of the application. You know, there's no, there are no shortcuts when you deal with an agency that is um, manned by such uh, exceedingly high quality professionals. There's there's no shortcut to giving them everything they need to make a decision. And, and it's important also that you enter into these relationships as a partner, if you will, in the dialogue. Um, nice. You know, l- listen, everybody, from any, anybody on, on my side, on the industry side, wants to do these things as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Um, and we and we put a lot of pressure on the agency to, uh, you know, please give us an answer, we want to move forward, et cetera, uh, but there's no shortcuts around giving them the information they need to have the comfort uh, and the, and the confidence that what we're going to do as a, as a candidate company uh, with a candidate therapeutic is going to meet the high standards. They, they recognize it's an enormous privilege to test anything in a human subject, and so um, the bar for getting to that level is high. Even in an emergency situation like COVID-19, that bar is still quite high. That being said, um, you know, the FDA is an agency, no doubt about it, but it's an agency with human capital that, um, that over time, I believe, develops uh, the right kind of relationship with the, uh, the companies they deal with. And, and just like we develop competence and, and, and a sense of security in dealing with, you know, high-performance, high-quality uh, uh, actors, the agency works best with good actors in these, in these situations. And, and I have found them to be extremely helpful uh, to my team, and, I'm, and we're very grateful to them.
1: Excellent. Yeah, you know, even before um, COVID-19 sort of accelerated uh, the the path for a lot of, of biopharmas and cell and gene companies. Uh, you know, we were seeing a general uptick in in, in fast track and, and breakthrough designations uh, from the FDA. I think over the last year or so. Um, what is there is there a lesson in that? Given you, you know, I guess I want to tap into your wisdom. Is there a lesson uh, in that for new and emerging biopharmas? What should the expectation
2: be so um, you know I think that the the agency has been led by um, extremely um, uh, seasoned and uh, and and open minded um, commissioners who <clears throat> who recognize that one may perceive the agency as standing in the way of um, breakthrough science and, and patients in need. And so, because they carry that burden, I think that they're very, very good at um, at working to find ways to hasten the review and entry of those candidate products into treatment because they're just as, they're just as anxious as we are to see if stuff works or not. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very fortunate, one of my members of my board of directors at Cellularity. Is a former commissioner of the FDA, Dr. Andrew von Eschenbach, and Dr. von Eschenbach is a um, one of the most highly regarded um, uh, surgeons, scientists, um, and regulators in, in in the world, and he has he has taught me and has, has educated me quite a bit about uh, the role the agency plays, and um, and I can tell you that that I have not seen any Any attempts to um, to prolong or delay or or uh, create undue uh, hurdles or barriers to getting candidate therapeutics to patients, I do believe that the agency is going to find, especially in the era of 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 big data and all the all of the information management and and analytics tools. That there may be some ways going forward where the agency could find pathways to to get uh, candidate products to patients uh even faster and more efficiently um you know I mean the you know the um uh, just the willingness to adopt what they call real world evidence is going to make is going to help streamline the process and make things a lot easier that that being said I do believe that the, that there are going to be even more um uh, more of an evolution in the way the regulatory world deals with, uh, with enterprises, introducing new therapies. And by the way, um, there's no better time for a, a, a quantum advance than a crisis like COVID-19. You know, I think we're going we're gonna to come out of this crisis um, better informed, better equipped, and, and, you know, more capable of coming up with strategies that make the process better going forward. And one example is, you know, finding ways to get products through the process of approval, but then having an ongoing surveillance of those products in real life so that we can better inform physicians and users of those products uh, on everything from safety profiles to dosing and, and administration uh, and so on. And that that's where I think uh, we're going, and I'm excited about the prospects. Um, mm. So, you know, we live in a world today where every patient on any therapeutic, through the through the investigational phase, all the way through commercialization, every for every patient and every patient experience is potentially monitorable and can be contributing to a data set, which is going through an, a dynamic. Analysis. So let me just give you my theory here, and it's just my personal desire. Um, yeah. You know, the package insert that goes with every every approved therapeutic, we've all see them. It's that accordion folded document that looks like it's about, it's the it's the King James Bible folded into a you know <laughs> a right. centimeter by centimeter document. You know, yeah. that contains an enormous amount of information that, let's face it, is is static. Um, it goes along with the approved product, and it's with that product for mostly for the life cycle of, of, of the uh, of the of the uh, of the therapeutic. The reality is that in today's world, um, to have that information at your fingertips on a on a portable device, a cell phone, computer, whatnot, is extremely easy and accessible. Probably more so. It's easier to, for example, to read some of these things, but when you have search capabilities and all that. But can you imagine the day when a a a um, investigator brochure and then ultimately a product insert um, is is continually updated uh, with things like side effect, side effect profiles, um, dosing dosing recommendations, uh, interval recommendations, constantly updated based upon the real world experience of the product out there in the hands of doctors and patients, you know, who aren't who aren't traditional clinical trial subjects, but they're the, it's the real-world experience of the product. That's where I think things may one day go, and it's going, to be, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to allow us to tune, properly tune benefit and risk so that mm-hmm. um, we improve the therapeutic benefits and decrease the, the clinical risks of any, of any product.
1: Yeah, and that that uh, that data flowing both ways would, would would I would assume also inform regulatory bodies and, and expedite uh, their work uh, in in approving and making adjustments to um, to the therapies that, that that they deal with, right? I mean, so
2: so let me let me give you let me give you one example, okay? In yep. This COVID crisis, okay? We're 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 a month into it, hard, right? We are already because because of because of these kind of information and communication tools we have today. We are already finding out more and more and more about the about the real world clinical experience of patients on ventilators and what it's really saying about the disease. And by the way, we're beginning to understand that that, that th- this may not be a, a, a conventional pneumonia, it may be very, very different. In fact, it may be that this is this is not a a, a true pneumonia at all, but it is rather an underlying problem with the oxygen carrying and dissociation uh, process in the tissue. These patients are dying of hypoxic deaths. And, you know, if you follow my Twitter, a week ago or more, I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, you know what? This is not like any pneumonia I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. These patients are acting more like they 're at the top of the Himalayas rather than that they have their lungs filled with inflammatory fluids and are drowning and so you know the that struck me and i I made a point of noting it and and that information started to disseminate around, and now we 're looking at ways to change the way the ventilator is used in order to improve the outcome that's happening in in a matter of days to to weeks in the past, that kind of information. Might have taken years to trickle down through the system and inform doctors. So that's at our fingertips today, and I do believe that that's the way we should be dialing and 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 tuning things uh, we put in patients going forward. Yeah. So
1: you, we you know we've discussed that, like I think the the implications of of, of speed in the context of uh, the FDA. Um, what is, what is what does that speed mean f- for you as the leader of uh, an emerging biopharma company how has it impacted your business uh, your strategy um and the way you know the 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 systems that you have in place to i guess maintain i mean it's a you know to maintain that breakneck speed and make sure that uh, the tables don't turn and you become
2: the bottleneck right you know um I, that, that ha- in my mind that has a lot to do with the culture of the organization so um you know cellularity ain't like your your mama's pharma company or biotech company okay um you know cellularity is designed to operate in an extremely um fluid dynamic way where we you know we have a culture where uh it's it's highly communicative in, inside. We we, we aim to collaborate with external partners um, like our strategic partners in order to to speed the the review, analysis, uh, fail fast when failure is happening, because I'd I'd rather fail fast and directionally change to get things back on track rather than to ride something out all the way to completion, Um, and, and likewise, we want to be in tune with what's happening around us because um, observations made with somebody else's program in, 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 in maybe even another disease can inform us and help us make uh, improvements to what we're doing. So in order to keep that speed, you got to have your eyes open and you have to be willing. You have to be willing to make changes and implement changes, even though you may have spent two months Writing up a plan to go in one direction. If you know that that's not going to be the right place to go, you've got to change direction fast. Mm-hmm. People often get very vested in the work they've done. You know, I mean, you can imagine they have a project leader who's written a program or a project plan for going for the next 12 months, and three months into it, you tell them, wait a second, we're going to change direction. Sometimes people are so invested in, in what they've done that it's hard for them to switch gears. You can't do that. You can't do that. You know, it's like well, listen. I you, you you probably know from my background. I'm a lifelong aviator. I fly uh, I fly heavy jets around the world and this and that. And if I'm flying, I may. I may have started with a flight plan that was very well thought out between point A and point B. Um if along the way I hit a towering thunderstorm or I hit a traffic condition or I find that winds are better at a different altitude, I change that flight plan. Okay. I yeah. literally yeah. I literally change how I'm gonna get between point A and point B in order to get there faster, safer, and more efficiently.
1: So sticking with that line of thought, um and, and I know we're running short on time here, Doctor Harris, just a couple more questions for you, but Sticking with that line of thought, um, we, we've talked quite a bit about the FDA, and in and, and, and large part because of the FDA, uh, pharma is a very systems and processes uh, intensive space to work. Change and agility—the the, the change in the agility that you're talking about—are historically not very uh, systems and processes friendly, right? So, you know, when you're when you're changing your flight plan based on a, a, a variable such as uh, unexpected uh, weather. Um, obviously, there's got to you've got to have some checks and balances, some control strategies with your systems and processes that are helping you fly that plane. What's the equivalent in pharma and cellularity? What have you, uh, what what systems and processes do you do you recommend or have in place or suggest that you know maintain the base but allow for that change in agility that you referenced? So um, we, that's talked- a lot. I, I, I'll apologize for that question. I just threw a whole lot at you. <laughs> a
2: yeah, and 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 listen, I'm not I'm not suggesting that we do it perfectly yet. We're trying to get better and better at what we do. The mm-hmm. bottom line here is that you have to be you have to be um, in touch with all all levels of the organization on a daily basis, and you have to be very open minded to both. The good news and the bad news, so that you can, as a as a, as a management team, make timely decisions uh, and and be willing to make decisions that might, in fact, um, you know, not necessarily be popular, but you also have to be very comfortable with transparency within the organization and externally with um, the you know the various. Uh, stakeholders, whether the stakeholders are regulatory, whether the stakeholders are investors, whether the stakeholders are strategic relationships. And so it's a you know, combination of, of very, very continual um, observation of situational, you know, I, what, what we like to call situational awareness, the mm-hmm. same situational awareness you have in an airplane, I, I think you have to have in, 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 in this technology business. And then simultaneously, you got to be communicative. you got to communicate and be transparent. You know, it's funny. In a crisis in an airplane, you know, they say you got to use the, the, um, uh, the three Cs, right? Uh, 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 climb, conserve, and confess. Um, and those three <clears throat> things are the first thing in your mind when you, have a, when you have a problem because it buys you time, it gets you the right help, and it allows you to make those critical decisions. Same thing applies here. Yeah.
1: What uh, as it relates to uh mistakes and, and problems, what what do you see as the most uh in your experience across the board, uh the mo the most common, I guess, GMP violations uh that, that you see and, and have you learned anything about avoiding them?
2: Uh well GMP like manufacturing issues. I mean the most the biggest problems are um uh not designing from the outset um the right uh, the right checks and balances so that if you have a departure from uh, standards and protocols or conditions that you don't react fast enough. For example, you know, man- when we manufacture, you know, living cell products as medicines, um, the attention to quality and, and sterility and, and uh, to avoid contamination is a principal, uh, principal concern. You know, if, if you didn't set the manufacturing environment up, from the get go to minimize those threats and to and to monitor the risks so that you can you can stop production or interrupt production before something something a lie happens you 'll wind up spending a lot of money producing products that can't be used, and so that's a common problem uh, listen you can go in the in the uh, the press release uh, archives and see many companies in cell therapy. Have had to shut down because they had a they had a contamination problem in the g m p suite or they had or they had some other um quality failure and you know there have been companies that have lost a year on their timelines because of that at at cellularity we designed our manufacturing as a purpose built environment, building in all of the appropriate systems and checks to minimize those 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 threats. And we have a quality team that I think is world class that, that keeps us on our toes. Um, they, can be, they can be very demanding, but I would rather them uh, blow the whistle internally in order to get my guys to work a certain way to avoid problems than to come up testing a finished product and it doesn't pass release specifications because we didn't pay attention. So, yeah. you know, that's to me very,
1: very important. Excellent. All right. Well, to, to wrap things up here, I want to give you an opportunity. First, I want to thank you, Dr. Harry, for not only your time today, but for the efforts that uh, you and your team are putting into addressing the pandemic and, and coronavirus. Um, it's, it's, I wish you well in those efforts, and, and on behalf of the entire world, uh, thank you for pioneering that that, that uh, effort. No, well, thank you. I'm, I'm I'm grateful for your time as well. Yeah. What uh what what's next, real quick to to wrap things up, what's what's next in uh in, in your progress on the, the coronavirus front?
2: You know, we are anxiously looking towards getting the um uh the, the patients treated and evaluating uh evaluating what's going on with uh you know, with our with our product, making sure that it's it's safe and well tolerated and making sure that we can um we can show that it's actually benefiting them. So this is all crucial, and I'm going to be happy to report to you, hopefully fairly soon, uh, what our our experience is. Awesome. We'll get
1: it on the schedule. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Harry. Very much appreciate it, and good luck to you. Hey,
2: great talking to you. Thanks for your time. Stay safe and healthy. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: that's dr robert harrari i'm matt pillar and this is the business of biotech we're produced by bioprocess online in partnership with citiva which offers a host of great resources for new and emerging biopharma companies on its emerging biotech accelerator at citivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech check that out be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter at bioprocessonline.com and in the meantime thanks for listening